Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go. Indie Game Business. Oh, hi there. <laughs> What's, we're back and with the, the lovely Anya Combs with the Kickstarter AMA. And GA's here. We're going to be fielding some questions. We got some questions in Discord, don't we? Uh, I got a very important question. Up First and foremost, how is Nebula? Nebula's good. Uh, my boyfriend is taking her for a walk right now, so she doesn't uh, <laughs> whine through this. Um, but she's doing great. She's a she's a perfect creature. That that's um that's why I had to step up and run away because mine was going to start whining that she <laughs> needed to be let outside. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right so as always all right for those of you who do not know Anya she is the director of games at a little site called Kickstarter uh, and she is going to be answering all of your questions um, as we go through this we've already got some of them logged up and sorry I'm getting like error messages popping up on my screen I'll trying get it to make I'll them take go care away. of it you just there we go that stuff. all right so let's get started how are you defining, how would you define success when you are an indie dev going to Kickstarter? And how does one make the budget for how one needs to get their game on Kickstarter? Like, I need this amount of money to have and to launch it. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to budget things, uh, this is kind of one of the cool parts of my job is I don't have to deal with uh, developer budgets. Um, you kind of need to make you need to determine what that is for yourself. Um, I am not, I think one of the most important things is to know when you're not the smartest person in the room. Um, I am not the smartest person in the room when it comes to budget. So that is something that I would highly encourage you to look to uh, budget professionals on to say, <laughs> to put it mildly. Um, so there's a couple different ways that you can do that. There's a bunch of resources online. I can tell you that you are always gonna need more money than you think you do. Um, that's just a general rule of thumb when it comes to games. Uh, in terms of success, so I actually don't define success on Kickstarter by the amount of money that you've raised. I don't think that that necessarily makes sense. Um, oh, am I am I alone in this? No, 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 no. I'm here. Okay. I'm just okay. Like... <laughs> no worries. I was just like, oh god, it's a lot of me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I would say success is really sort of based on what it is that you want. So if, if you have like reached what your initial funding goal is and that means success, great. If success is that you want to over uh, fund, that's also great. That's also totally fine. Um, success also doesn't necessarily mean that you have funded. So success could be something of like, cool. So I launched on Kickstarter. I maybe didn't fund, but now I have a publisher or now I have this whole new artist that I'm able to work with because I met them through the Kickstarter. Success is, is not a, uh, it's not a binary sort of success, uh, a, a binary definition to me. I think success is really like, it's very, very individualistic. So I think it's important for you to sort of define what your success is. 
in terms of what I consider to be a success, um, I think that if you have learned something from running your Kickstarter project, to me, that's a success story. So if that's like, cool, I learned I never want to do a Kickstarter again. Great. I'm happy that you know that. If it's that I want to only use Kickstarter to fund my projects. Great. Fantastic. Um, whatever you have like decided what success is to you, if you were able to achieve that, fantastic. That is kind of the the utmost importance to me. And, and just FYI, everybody out there watching, if you have a question, drop it in chat or you can drop it in Discord. I would greatly prefer you drop it in chat so I don't have to constantly flip back and forth. But drop it in chat no matter what platform you're on. Uh, we're going to see it and we're going to get it answered. Um, here, here's a good one from the Discord. How has the pandemic affected the video game section of Kickstarter? Yeah. I mean, I think it's safe to say that the pandemic has sort of affected the video games industry as in general. Um, we definitely aren't seeing as many games, uh, you know, out as we have in the past. I think Animal Crossing and Cozy Games have sort of taken over. Um, there's obviously, you know, a bunch of other games that have come out, but like the, the huge success stories like we see that happen at GDC and PAX and things like that, because those conferences don't really happen. Um, it's a little more difficult to sort of uh, see what's going on in the industry. Um, the numbers for video games is definitely down. Um, that's not to say that there aren't projects funding. There absolutely are. Coral Island made over a million dollars on Kickstarter. I need to not look at the comments while I'm talking because it's no, 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 trust me, that's, that, that's <laughs> dangerous. But, but wait, wait, before we get into that, just real quick on what you just said, the numbers are down. What numbers? The, the number numbers of... specifically for video games. I, I actually looked at the numbers for games on Kickstarter as a whole. And the, the number for games is actually up. Um, we've, we have our best year on record. Everything increased between 5 to 9%, which is... But you're talking about the money raised number, or are you talking about the number of projects, or are you talking about both? So so the number, the number of projects launched, the number of projects funded, the amount raised, the amount actually um, that was successful, all of those numbers for Kickstarter games, so that's tabletop, cards, uh, card games, uh, video games, anything that's a game on Kickstarter, all those numbers are up. Um, we've had our best year on record for the games division at Kickstarter. Video games is down a little bit. It's not to a degree that we're like super concerned or anything like that. Um, but the video games numbers on Kickstarter are down a little bit. Uh, I suspect what we're going to see is a big influx come next year. Um, that feels a little bit more uh, in line with reality. Um, but the video game numbers are down a little bit on Kickstarter. Any guesses, estimations on why? I think it's really difficult to make a video game when you are entirely remote. I think it's really difficult with time zones and things like that. Um, I think with everybody being remote, I think that's changed how, you know, making a game sort of happens. I think there's a lot more sort of individual creators, a lot more indie creators, but that sort of requires a lot of work from people. And I think uh, the other thing that I've seen a trend in is sort of separating work and life a little bit more. I don't, I don't I, even understand that concept. I mean, I, I have I have personally pushed really hard this year to have those lines. And I have pushed that on my team where if I see my team working on the weekend, they get yelled at. I'm like, uh-uh, you're not working. It's not happening. Or if I see that, I'm like, great, well, then you're taking one day off because 
I am not going to have any of you burn out over, over what at the end of the day, you know, our jobs are great and unique and we love our jobs, but I'm not going to have anybody burn out over a job. That's awesome. And that, that's a good boss. That's <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so next one from Discord. What are the takeaways of how crowdfunding space has synthesized the new expanded gaming demographics? It's a lot of buzzwords in one question. Seriously, Lido. That's a big one. <laughs> I mean, I think it's safe to say that crowdfunding can be specialized for specific types of games. I would say that uh, educational games, at least for us, on, right? And so if we're talking about crowdfunding, that's different than specifically Kickstarter. I, I'm not really able to speak to other crowdfunding sites and sort of what's successful on those sites. I can I can kind of only speak to Kickstarter, but I would say for, for any sort of like new demographics and things like that, I will tell you that uh, games that are popular on Steam are likely also going to be popular on Kickstarter, right? So obviously AAA games are not really going to come to Kickstarter because they don't really necessarily uh, need to crowdfund those budgets, nor can they crowdfund those budgets in the way that those business structures are set up are very different. Um, things like retro games are very popular on Kickstarter. RPGs are very popular on Kickstarter. Uh, uh, arcade games, adventure games, platformers, things like that. First person shooters are not as popular. And again, I think a big reason as to why that is, is just the budgets that are associated with those games are vastly different than like a bespoke art experience sort of video game. Um, for things like educational games, again, um, educational games don't do very well on Kickstarter only because the target demographic for educational games tends to be kids and kids are not backing projects. Parents are backing projects, but the parents aren't going to find out about the project unless the kid finds out about the project. And how does a child find out about a Kickstarter project when they're not consuming content where they would be advertised to for that specific project? Yes, the, the constant give and take of why kids' games are licensed because parents need to, yep. you know, recognize something. Mm -hmm. All right. And so, yeah, I'm going to paraphrase. Lito, you know, wants to clarify that it was a three-part question that we're, like, breaking down here. But so to paraphrase, have we seen a growth in the number of people backing gamer projects like we have seen the growth in, you know, gamers Mm -hmm. uh, uh, through the through the pandemic we have seen and we are are the number of people backing games has definitely increased um i feel like it's starting to sort of like we saw a huge spike last year and it's starting to sort of settle down now which is good um but i you know a lot of this too is sort of attributed to tabletop games tabletop games are just so massive um and that makes sense to me just in the terms of like if you've backed a, a tabletop game in 2020, it's most likely that it has come to your door now or it will be soon. If you backed a video game in 2020, it's probably going to take a little bit longer to get to you. So when people are sort of like starved for content and they're like, oh my gosh, I've already played every game in my house. Um, I've watched every movie. I've watched every TV show. I've listened to every album. I need something new. I understand. It totally makes sense to me that coming to Kickstarter potentially as, a, as a, like an entertainment source backing a project uh, that is likely going to come to your door in six months versus upwards of three years. Yeah, I understand there being a larger number of backers specifically in the tabletop category. 
I, I have said quite frequently, and I will repeat it again. I frequently go to Kickstarter for entertainment because by the time I back something and then it arrives, I forgot that I backed it. And it's just mm -hmm. like Christmas morning when some yep. random game shows up at my front doorstep. And I'm like, Same. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, all right. So this is one that, and I constantly reinforce these statistics that you've thrown out before. How big of a community do you need mm -hmm. beforehand? Do you need $10,000, dollars $50,000, you know, to, to get to your goal? How important is that pre-built community before you jump on Kickstarter? Yeah, so it's incredibly important. Um, so you can anticipate as a first-time creator, about 70% of your pledges are going to come in through the community that you've built, which means about 30% of pledges will come in through Kickstarter. That 30% also includes any sort of features, promotions, anything that we as Kickstarter are able to provide to sort of help you along the way. I would note there's a misconception that if you uh, <laughs> if you get a bunch of promotions on Kickstarter that suddenly you're gonna get this huge influx of pledges. It helps, but it's not gonna be enough that if you haven't done that sort of like pre-work ahead of time, it's not, gonna, it's not going to negate that pre-work that you possibly didn't do. So the easiest way to look at this is to take your funding goal. So we'll take 50K as an example here. Um, and you want to divide that by the base price of the game. So let's say that it's $20, right? Like most video games are $15, $20. And we'll do the high end of about 20. So you want to divide those numbers. That means you need 2,500 people to pledge $20 each to reach your funding goal. So you want to divide that number. So 2,500 people, uh, sorry, you want to multiply that number. So 2,500 people, try to get by a community of about 5,000 people before you come to Kickstarter. Um, now, when I say that, what I'm not saying is go to Twitter and make sure that you have 5,000 followers. Twitter is one component. Facebook is a component. Mailing lists are a component. A list of your friends and family is another component. Your Discord is a component. The community is, is not a centralized location. Community is a, a wide spectrum of different places of people who are basically saying, great, we want to participate in this project. You brought up a good point there. So you said most of the games are, are, are 15 to $20. Is mm -hmm. there a sweet spot of price point for, for is that it? I mean, if you want to get a game that's you're planning to be 40 bucks crowdfunded, is that a bigger hurdle or? It's not a bigger hurdle. It's just, you're definitely going to want to make sure that you grow a community and you're going to want to explain why a game is $40. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. How important is it to show your face and studio in the video or is just showing the game just as good? Game is always going to be more important. 30 seconds of gameplay is more important than showing your face in the, in the, the studio. If you want to show your face, if you want to highlight your studio, if you want to highlight your team, great, fantastic. Feel free to do so not required by any sense of the imagination. Um, the game itself is going to speak much more than anything else. Um, if, but I would say like, if you're someone that's like excited about, you know, sort of showing who you are and showing off a little bit, which is totally fine. And like, I to like, like totally get that. Um, feel free to do so. That is completely fine. But again, uh, the game itself is inherently more important. All right. I'm making my first game, but I'm from an overseas country not supported yet by Kickstarter. Is there any updates on which new countries are planned to enter soon? Yeah, we don't have any updates on new countries, um, but going into next year, 2022 is a new year. Um, we'll, we might have some. I don't know of any, quite frankly, um, at least for the next six months. But if that changes, I'm happy to let people know. And there was a follow on. Uh, 
Yeah. How, how could I have a campaign in it being from how can they get funded if mm-hmm. they're in one of these countries that doesn't have direct Kickstarter support? Yeah. Still, I mean, are, are there avenues to make that happen? So there is something called Stripe Atlas, which allows people to create essentially like Internet companies. Um, there's there are ways to create Internet companies so you can uh, have like a bank account and a business address in one of the countries that uh, we support. Um, it, hap- it There's a number of projects this year, uh, a game called Coral Island from a team in Indonesia. We aren't we don't support Indonesia, but they made over a million dollars on Kickstarter. Are there best practices that you see when it comes to designing that page and that campaign that developers should focus on, especially since we have to keep in mind that a lot of the teams that are going to be going to Kickstarter, they are not marketing people. Yeah. What are some of those best practices to make your, make your game stand out? So, uh, having a massive amount of text in like two pictures is a no. Um, Images are great. Images and GIFs are a great way to show what your project is. Um, You know, honestly, the best thing to do is to look at successful Kickstarter projects. It's not so much that it's like a, a, a strict formula or anything like that, but you can kind of see like, what the, the the common themes are between a lot of these projects. And what it tends to be is couple lines of text, image, couple lines of text, image, couple lines of text, image. And a lot of it just comes down to a full explanation of what the gameplay is, a little bit of information about you, um, and a little bit of information of like what it is that you're hoping to do. I love the fact that Dan is like on point right now and popping these things up as fast as I can get through them. (laughs) Are there any numbers on how consumer friendly free to play games or free to play Mm -hmm. games as a whole do on Kickstarter? Yeah. Free to play games are possible. They're not super common. Um, They're so the biggest challenge with the free to play game is you are going to have to find a good set of rewards that are going to justify a a game that is ultimately going to be free. Right. So what is it about what are you going to be offering to people who are going to pledge to the Kickstarter that they can get that is not already going to be uh, available to the public when the game comes out? The biggest thing there is uh, Kickstarter exclusives. So you're like this level, this character, whatever it is, that's only exclusive to to people who back the Kickstarter. um, That is I've seen a couple of a couple free to play games do that. And that does incredibly well. How? Wait, hold on, hold on, Dan. I got another question first. <laughs> How are NFTs and blockchain meshing with working with? What's the state of that side of the of the industry on Kickstarter? Um, it's something that we're looking at. Um, I think we're we are also kind of trying to figure it out. Um, I know it's something that our team internally has had a lot of discussions about. Um, I think that we allow nfts if they don't if it's like something that already isn't available um but i know there's there's i don't fully understand any of it to be totally honest like blockchain and cryptocurrency the way that i saw it described is that it's basically just coles cash for men and i was like great then i don't care um so i don't really get it and 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 everything that i've seen is that it somehow everybody's always upset about it. And so I'm just like, I don't really have the mental space to care about this. 
And I am always like, I'm always very wary. And I've seen this happen so much in the games industry in the like 13 years that I've been in games. Anytime someone tells me like, oh, this is the future of gaming. I'm just like, I, I'm out. I'm out. Those are, those are the kiss of death as far as I'm concerned. I've never seen it work out. Um, so I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe most of us who are just sort of sh shrugging our shoulders and going cool, uh, maybe we're wrong, but I would say from the Kickstarter perspective, it's something that we're we're sort of, you know, we don't get a ton of questions about it. It's something we're looking at, um, but I don't, we don't really have a, a, a super firm policy other than case by case basis. We'll take a look. Gotcha. I'm with you. I, don't, I Blockchain, I can somewhat understand because as, as was explained to me many, many years ago, it's magic, the gathering cards, but digital. So you know where they are and everything. Mm -hmm. The NFTs I've yet to see. I don't, I don't get that one. That was, it's, it's, it's still a JPEG. I don't give a shit if you own it or not. It's still a JPEG. It's a target uh, red card. That's all I see. That's it. <laughs> but what if it was camel cash instead of Cole's cash? Oh boy. Oh, um, how would a great Kickstarter management get? Okay, hold on a second. How would a great Kickstarter campaign management team make better use of the campaign's length? All right, so I understand, Neil Weir. I get it. Okay. English, not first language. Half the time, it's not mine either. No worries. What's What's the best way to manage your time across your team through mm. the life cycle of a campaign? Yeah. So the first thing is your actual life cycle of your campaign. You want to keep it 30 to 35 days. Anything less than that is a little bit too, too less. Uh, and anything more than that is a little bit too much, right? So uh, the sweet spot there is about 30 to 35. If you're like 28, okay, great, fine. And if you're like 37, okay, great, fine. Um, but what we typically see is that allows people to have two different pay cycles to decide if they want to back a Kickstarter or not. Um, there's something about those two pay cycles that is just like, a, it's just like magic. So right, wait, come people, out, come out. What, what do you, what do you mean by the pay cycles? So roughly, at least here in the U S people get paid about every two weeks. So if you have a campaign that's 30 to 35 days, you are able to hit two different pay cycles for people who get paid roughly every two weeks. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. But I just want cool. to make sure it, it was all clear because that's actually in your, in your times with us that has actually never come up that's a oh yeah yeah that's um all right so anyway so we're gonna go two pay cycles and and then then what so uh you want to make sure that you post an update every other day so you want to have your updates sort of like the first half of your updates sort of ready to go um you want to have people who are engaging within the community answering comments answering emails any requests or anything that come in just make sure that you're like responding um you really want to make sure that you are updating your backers as to what's going on so if that's even just like oh wow we got 50 percent, that's so cool Great, fantastic. Make sure that you like are able to show that excitement. Um, you want to make sure people kind of know, again, just let people know sort of what's going on. We uh, updated our art. Here's a new piece of art. We have a new character we're, we're excited to come out with. Great, here's a new character. Whatever's going on with the game are things that you want to update. And if you don't have anything to update, even just a, a simple thank you goes a really long way. Just like, great, we don't have anything necessarily to update on right now, but we're super excited and we can't wait for the game to come out. Um, and then the last week, you want to sort of just like really make sure that you push. And then the last two days 
uh, that is sort of a critical time on any Kickstarter project because it tends to mirror the first two days where you have a high level of uh, activity and pledges that come in. Um, making sure people are excited and, and pushing that excitement into the community is really important. All right, so let I want to dive into one that you mentioned earlier because I was actually mm -hmm. monitoring that one as well in, in the Coral Island. So, and we're not going to say this is the norm. I mean, mm -hmm. they asked right. for 70 grand, they got 1.7 million. Right. With a small team, what the hell do you do when you get funded in 36 hours and all of a sudden there's like hundreds of thousands of people watching your campaign? How, how do you deal with that? So the first thing is uh, don't freak out. Um, it's okay to celebrate. That's fine. Get excited. You should be excited. Celebrate in that success. Celebrate in that excitement. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, again, sort of to speaking what I said earlier, where uh, you need to know when you're not the smartest person in the room, reach out to people that have had successful Kickstarters to that degree. Um, see what they did, see what what helped them sort of throughout the process, especially if you're a team that's like very small and sort of strapped for uh, resources and time and things like that. Who who's able to help you? Um, that's kind of the wild thing about the games industry that I think people don't necessarily realize is that everybody in the games industry, for the most part, is willing to help each other out. It's a very collaborative community. So if you start reaching out to people that are like, "Wow, this person ran a really successful Kickstarter, um, and it was around, it was about the same amount that I've made," reaching out to them and saying, "How did you manage this? Like, what are what are some things that I need to think about?" That is, I think, that is like one of the best things that you can possibly do. All right, Dan. Sorry, you get to deal with, with with my random questions in there as well. So, is it possible to launch a successful Kickstarter without already marketing something for a while? I mean, anything is possible. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yes, it's possible. However, is it going to be easy? No. And is it is it is it a high likelihood of success? No. Um, I don't get to determine what becomes like popular on Kickstarter, right? Like I, I never really know. There's stuff that I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be huge. And it like barely funded. And then there's stuff that I'm just like, I don't know. We'll see what happens. And it becomes this runaway hit, right? So it's it's not a gatekeeping thing on my end. Um, I would say doing that pre-marketing is sort of a, uh, it's a way to secure success early. So you can kind of have an idea of like, great. So I have all these people that are following me and I have all these people that have committed. And then if you launch the project and for whatever reason, nobody's backing it, that's really good information for you to parse out. And so that sort of gives you the opportunity to, to either say like, okay, I need to cancel this campaign and I need to figure out why people aren't backing it. Um, or, you know, push forward and just kind of see what happens. That's also totally legitimate. And if it's a, if that's something you want to do, fantastic, great, no problem. I would say in the six years or so that I've been doing this though, the number of times people have had little to no uh, marketing before launch, uh, that generally means they're not going to fund. You have got to check out our Discord at discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. It's an amazing community of over 3,500 other industry experts. We've got developers, publishers, marketing and PR firms, investors, so, so many, so many. It's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts. 
You can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others. We have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck, finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. I'm going to ask another quick question and mm-hmm. then I'm going to make you big screen again because I have to, you know, let Princess in because now she's decided it's cold outside. Is it really okay to cancel something? And how does that affect your chance at, you know, the next one you want to do? Yeah, you can absolutely cancel something. That is that is fine. That that doesn't really do anything. It's not a thing where you're like, oh my gosh, I had to cancel my my campaign and now I have this scarlet letter on me. That's not, that's not the case at all. Um, As long as you sort of explain what's going on and say like, look, we had to, we had to cancel this campaign. Um, We're either not going to launch another Kickstarter because of X, Y, and Z reasons, or we're going to come back to Kickstarter when we have the time and we have the resources that we needed that we just didn't think about, or we weren't able to have for whatever reason. Right. Again, a lot of this is about communicating with your backers and your community about what's going on instead of just things happen out of nowhere and then suddenly backers are left with a lack of information. That's kind of where this narrative of like, oh, people just take the money and run. It's very, it's exceptionally rare that that happens on Kickstarter. Um, But that's where a lot of those sort of misconceptions happen is that uh, people just tend to, uh, they get scared. They don't want to provide like, you know, negative information. Um, And I think that in itself is an exercise to sort of learn, like, how do I relay information that's maybe not the best. And I think the easiest answer is that if you relay information in a cohesive and concise way of, look, this is what happened. So this is what happened. This is what we're planning to do about it. That's so much better than not saying anything to your backers. Um, yeah. But the the general thing here is like, if you need to cancel, it's all good. It, it happens. So do you, wait, I'm sorry. Wait, see, I'm sorry, Dan. I got ahead of myself. How far should you be into development when you're doing your Kickstarter? So we say that you probably want to be about 50% of the way through development. You want to have gameplay that is as close to what the final project is going to look like as possible. And that, sorry, 30 seconds of gameplay. How do you do it if the Kickstarter goal is only covering some of your full budget? Well, that's what most video game Kickstarters do is they're only covering a certain percentage of the budget. Um, There are so many other funding options that are out there before you come to Kickstarter, right? So there's independent funds, there's grants, there's angel investors, there's borrowing money from friends, family, banks, whatever it is. Um, You get to kind of determine what, how you bring that money in, self-financing, right? Um, you get to determine how much of that is going to be outside of Kickstarter and how much of that is going to be on Kickstarter. And for for those of you out here, we actually have sessions in the past, if you go to our YouTube page, where we talked about budgets, but that is absolutely one of the things. If you're building a campaign that isn't the full budget, you still have to make sure it's enough to finish the game. All right, so we see this every now and maybe we don't see it as much as we used to, but campaigns that would ask for less money than they actually needed, hoping they would hit funded. And mm. then the, does that work? No. I um, did. 
Yeah. I mean, I understand why people do that, but here's the thing. If you ask for less money than what you actually need, and let's say that you're like, great, I know that I need a hundred thousand dollars and I'm going to go to Kickstarter, but I'm only going to ask for 30 in anticipation of making a hundred K. Um, Nebula is back. Hi, buddy. Hi. She's looking at me. It's very, um, so if you need 100K, but you're only asking for about 30, the challenge there is, let's say that you've made exactly 30, but you've promised something that's 100K budget. You now have to somehow figure out where you're going to make 70K because you have to deliver the thing that you said you're going to make. Oh, all right. Sorry. Is it possible to get feedback on your campaign by Kickstarter staff, by a Kickstarter staff member before launching? Yeah. That is a big part of my job. That's a huge part of my job. That's a huge part of uh, John Ritter's job, who is my, uh, she's trying to eat shoes. Uh, that's a big part of my uh, senior outreach uh, tabletop person's job. That's a huge part of our European outreach person's job. We want to see your project. We want to be able to provide feedback. feedback. We want you to feel comfortable before you launch. So how do they do that? Um, you can reach out to me through my email or through Twitter. Um, you can email me Anya, A-N-Y-A at kickstarter.com or games, G-A-M-E-S at kickstarter.com or my Twitter, which is um, at A-N-Y-A-Y-N-A. My DMs are open. You're welcome to message me. But if you message me on a weekend and I don't respond to you, it's because it's the weekend and I'm enjoying it. Yes, I sent you my address for a random holiday card and I have not heard back yet. That So... Well, it's it's the holiday season. I have like 20 something days. No, you were very clear. It did not guarantee which holiday it was going to be. So I think that's brilliant. Um, I'm going to be sending a bunch of my friends like happy Father's Day cards and there. I just am so excited. <laughs> the, the key of it is you don't do it on Father's Day. You do it on like some random day. You mm -hmm. just send random cards. Yes, I've done that in the past too. So... Uh, how does getting the project we love tag help the campaign and how can I improve my chances of getting that tag? So the projects we love tag, which um, I roll that sort of into all features and promotions and things like that. Um, that is definitely uh, one of the most coveted things that we see from creators on Kickstarter. Everybody wants the tag, right? And everybody wants features. Um, I'd love to be able to give everybody features and things like that. We can't. That is a little bit of a harsh reality that we kind of have to have to face. Um, so the best way. So one, one of the best ways to even be in consideration for that is talking to us as the games team, because we're able to advocate for you internally at Kickstarter. Right. So like we're able to to sort of show our um, our editorial team who manages all of the features and promotions, the projects we love tags, the newsletters and things like that. We're able to say like, this creator is amazing. We're so excited. Here's why. Um, our edit and just to be clear, all of this is managed by our internal editorial team. Everything is hand curated. So it's not, it's not like you've met a specific metric and suddenly you get that badge. Um, none of that exists. Every single feature on Kickstarter is managed by an actual team. It's all human done. It's, it's human beings who manage all of this. Um, so if you're like, I've, raised all this money why didn't i get any features or anything like that um again it's not because of uh it's not because you've met a, some metric that we haven't told anybody about it's either we didn't see your project which happens 
a lot considering that at any given point there's like 630 live games projects and we're a team of three <laughs> so it's a little hard for us to always keep up with everything we do our best um uh, in terms of how it helps your project so it can absolutely help your project but like i said earlier it's not a situation where you get the projects we love badge and all of a sudden you're like oh my god i made a million dollars it will help some but it's not enough that it's going to change the 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 like the the trajectory of your project by any means and, and i had another question but i forgot totally what it was there so all right good um so what is a good strategy to tell your backers that the kickstain if the kickstarter campaign isn't enough to fund the whole project but that it will help getting the minimum needed and possible other sources funded that's totally fine. I mean, I think that uh, this is sort of some criticism that I've heard. And I, I I go back and forth on it, but I've heard a lot of criticism that people, the general public has this idea um, that you can just make a video game for like $30,000 or $50,000. Oh, God, $50, you just don't get me started on that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case, right? And And I don't understand how people think that. I guess I kind of understand it, but like, I feel like it's also widely known that like, you know, Fortnite has made a 500 bajillion dollars. A shitload. That's, that's the, <laughs> the number that you're looking for. Yes. Right. And, and it doesn't cost a lot to actually make that game, but it costs a lot to maintain that game. Right. And so that's, that's more of where that sort of money is coming from. But in the same vein, right, when we're talking about some of these huge AAA games, so when we're talking about like Bioshock or we're talking about Call of Duty or whatever it is, whatever giant AAA games are out there, Breath of the Wild, right? Um, those are massive games that are like $290 million. Like these are massive budgets that we're talking about. And I feel like people are very upfront about how much those cost. The indie creators for some reason, and I think it's because as indie creators, there's a little bit of a challenge between commerce and art um indie creators are a little bit less willing to sort of disclose what the the budgets are for those games unless they've worked with a publisher and the publishers tend to be a little bit more open about what those budgets are but even then when we're talking about specifically publishing deals that doesn't necessarily factor in the amount of money that the creator was like the creator needed before they even got to that publishing deal so like if an indie public, if an indie creator came to me and it was a small, small game, two hour experience, and they were like, yeah, it was a million dollars. I wouldn't bat an eye at that. I'd be like, yeah, that, that checks out a million dollar game. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, so the, the funding amounts that we're talking about on Kickstarter are very, very small. And I have no issue with people being completely upfront and transparent that it's like, look, we secured 90% of our funding. This 50K is going to help us secure the last 10% of um, the funding that we need to make the game that we're excited to bring to everyone. That is a very, very common practice. And we just had Andrew on yesterday talking about getting funds and funding. And one of the things that he brought up is a lot of these you know, especially government grants in, in Canada are mm. you have to match it. And I know that's the way a lot of the, the government programs are in Germany as well. It's like, yeah. yes, we'll give you a million dollars, but you have to get 250 grand of your own first. And yep. so that's where a lot of that comes in. But with the indie developers, it comes down to this 
love-hate relationship we have with our own consumers. It's like, yeah. yes, we love the gamers, but at the same time, you get people who get very vocal. It's like, well, this is an indie game. It should only cost $5, and it should be... It's like, shut the hell up. It's going to cost what it's going to cost. But, you know, yeah. these things are expensive. And, and the worst thing that you can do as an indie developer, and this isn't just crowdfunding, this is in general, is mm -hmm. underestimate the amount of money that you're going to need. Yeah. Um, because it, that's always going to bite you in the ass. Yeah, yeah. What is your opinion on early bird rewards? I think they're great if it's something you want to use. Um, I'm not pro or anti. I think if it's something that you want to put on your project, fantastic. Uh, I would just say, you know, like all things, use them responsibly. <laughs> just in the sense of, I've seen this happen a couple times and I understand why creators do this. So they'll offer an early bird reward and they'll say like, great, it's it was $15. And then once all of these are done, then everything's $20. And then they'll say like, oh, this early bird reward was so successful. Now everybody gets it for $15. But unfortunately, there are still people that are going to back you at $20. And so the people that have backed you at 20, when they could have gotten it for 15, you're going to get a huge amount of people that are really upset. So I would say if, if you're going to have a specific amount of early birds, stick to that. Uh, and I remembered my thought from earlier. So when you were talking about, you know, how to get noticed for the, the editorial, I mean, for those who just watched us talk to Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Tinsley, and she was saying automated systems for marketing and PR aren't the best. It's all about the relationships. That's exactly what we're saying about, about Kickstarter. If you don't reach out to Anya and her team and you don't have mm -hmm. that conversation and build that relationship, then no, there's 630 games on Kickstarter right now. Uh, I think so. I can actually confirm that. Oh my that. Give God. Me, give me one second. That's not a scary statistic at all for anyone. Okay. There are, okay, games, live games. There's 581 right now. But that's also because we are in a down, what's considered a down season on Kickstarter. All right. So wait, wait, wait. this is a whole another panel of questions. What is the down season on Kickstarter? When is it? And how does that change things? So we start to see a uh, people who back Kickstarter projects tend to decline starting around Thanksgiving, um, like the week of Thanksgiving into the entirety of the, the, of the year. So if you want to have a, a, you know, you want to launch a project that is ending before Thanksgiving, that means that you have to be prepared to launch in the middle of October. Um, it's not that projects, it's not that it's impossible for projects to fund around right now. Like if I look very quickly, I know there's a big project. Yeah. So Borderlands launched today uh, and they'll be ending December 20th, I think 20, 23rd, excuse me. So like right around Christmas time, um, they're going to be fine. However, we are also talking about Borderlands. It's a Borderlands board game, right? And so it's like, this is the, something that everybody kind of knows about. Uh, two years ago, Divinity Original Sin, the board game launched around PAX Unplugged. Again, that's the other thing. We're talking about a board game that's launching a week before PAX Unplugged. And so it's like, well, this all kind of makes sense. Um, but typically for like first time creators or people who maybe don't have, you know, something as successful as a Borderlands attached to their project, uh, it's unlikely <laughs> that you're going to be as successful if you launched before uh, the middle of October. Is there a better, is, is there a best time of the year? So there's, there's, 
any any time of year except for about now is good but there's sort of two pillars one is like roughly the beginning to middle of february to the beginning of may right before the summer vacation starts and then the second time is uh the middle of august leading into the middle of october and also for those of you listening if you want what we could compile at this point into a master class on on kickstarter this is not the first time Anya's done this for us. And there are <laughs> multiple Q&As and, and AMAs on our YouTube. Go back and watch them because it, it's all fantastic. All right. So we got about 15 minutes. If you've got questions, get them in chat. My trusty assistant has gone over to get the next chat ready. So please, God, drop it in the video chat and not in Discord. So I'm not jumping back and forth. Uh, the next one from YouTube. My idea was to prepare a prototype, put it on Kickstarter and leave it there. No active external campaigning. Maybe mentioning it once in gaming communities. Is this viable? Um, I would say no. I don't think this is, a, this is the smartest idea. It's certainly a tactic. Um, I think the challenge here is you are competing with everything else that's going on so so this question sort of posits that their campaign is going to be so popular that they don't have to really do that work but here's the thing when you launch a kickstarter project as i've said before you want to post an update roughly every other day so if you're not posting an update roughly every other day how are people still going to know about the project the days of sort of just launching a kickstarter project and going oh yeah if i launch it it'll come no problem um, you're still competing with, as of today, 579 other projects. Uh, if you're launching around our peak season, which we highly recommend people doing, that means that you have over 600 projects that you're sort of like, you need to figure out how your game stands out aside from that, right? Um, I, I don't think this is the best approach. Um, I would definitely say you want to uh, do that external campaigning you do want to sort of like engage with existing gaming communities as much as you possibly can before and during the campaign. So just sort of like preparing a prototype, putting it up there and leaving it. I don't think that's going to be a very enjoyable experience for you or your backers. And Danella, on your second question, we actually covered that a little earlier. Um, all of this is available whenever, but if you go back after we're done and rewind like the first 15 minutes, we got you uh, covered on that second question too. Uh, Neoware has got a good one. The most common errors that you see, things you should not be doing, and what do you see, what are the common no-nos that you see coming from developers? Yeah, so one, not having a video, just sort of putting a project up there and being like, yeah, I don't have a video. I don't really know. Um, no, you want to have 30, you need to have 30 seconds of gameplay in your video. Um, not having any images on the page. So it's just a bunch of text. Like, how am I supposed to know what a video game is without visually seeing it? Right. Even when you pitch to publishers, you still need to have a visual of some kind. Um, and then, I mean, we've, we've spoken about this at length, but like launching without a community, just sort of putting a project up there and going, I don't know, someone will probably find it. Um, doing that work ahead of time is super, super important. I would say those are sort of the three big things that I see. When you are looking at teams that have built communities, are there, are there communities that are better than other communities? Is it better to have a, a good Discord server or an yeah. email list or Twitter followers or... TikTok or whatever the hell else the kids are doing now. Are, are, <laughs> are any of those better than the rest of them? Um, 
I mean, a lot of it really depends on where you exist. Um, I would say that what we've seen is, is Instagram in particular doesn't yield great results only because uh, Kickstarter is sort of a like direct link relationship. And so it's like, if I directly click on this link, then I can go pledge something. Instagram makes it really difficult for you to click out of Instagram. So the chances of people sort of like finding your project through Instagram is very, very low. It does happen from time to time. Maybe it's like someone has a huge Instagram following, like that makes sense. Um, but typically, uh, you know, Instagram doesn't really do much for Kickstarter projects. Twitter always is kind of massive no matter what, but that's also because the entirety of the games industry is on Twitter. Um, Discord tends to do pretty well, but you also like the, the advantage of Discord is that you as the creator get to sort of manage what that community is. So um, that's it. That's a huge advantage. So it's not just chaos and you know, nonsense in your discord. Um, but if you, a lot of it is sort of where do you already exist? So if you already exist in a specific space, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be popular or, or, you know, have this huge following in this, in that space. It's more, what space do you already exist in that you can continue that momentum? So if it's a discord, great. If it's Twitter, great. If it's space, if it's Facebook, great. If it's Instagram, it's great. Um, but you kind of need to figure out where the starting point is. And another point that we see developers making their missteps is if you have built your community around something other than your game. It's like I've, I've seen developers come to us and they're like, well, I have a ton of people on Discord or a ton of Twitter followers, but I kind of have them because I promised to give away a PS5. Right. Those aren't quality followers. Those, right. those don't count. You have to have a good community that is you know, there for the right reasons. Right. Uh, all right, so Shark and Shark, the question on, you know, asking if the game is already at 90%, yes, that's, we covered that a minute ago, but it, it is very viable. Is there still as much a backlash on you on, like, publishers that are posting it, and it's like, we all know damn good and well that this game is funded, but they're doing it for marketing purposes? Is that is that still a thing? Does that work? Is that more yeah. backlash than you want? Um, I mean, it, it definitely still happens. I don't think it's as common. Um, I don't see much of a backlash, to be totally honest, maybe like here and there. But I think at the end of the day, people are just sort of excited about the content that's coming out. You didn't get skipped, Critter Crops. I, I, I got you. You're, you're here. <laughs> How relevant do you think the pre-launch numbers are to final and launch day projections? So we've seen that it's about a 12% conversion rate. Um, so for your pre-launch page, uh, one of the most important things there is that you need to have 10 followers before that number is public and viewable. So it's a great way to sort of say like, cool, uh, I'm supposed to launch tomorrow and I have 12 people that have followed me on my pre-launch page despite all of this effort and all of this pre-marketing. Um, that is a good indication to sort of be like, I may not be ready to launch this project. Now, that's not to say that like, if you have this huge Twitter following and you have this massive mailing list and you only have 12 people that have, you know, liked your pre-launch page, if you already have a community elsewhere that isn't necessarily part of that pre-launch page, that's totally fine. But if you're struggling in a lot of other areas and that pre-launch page continues to reflect that, that is a good indication that it's probably not time. How long should you have a pre-launch page up before you launch? So we say about 30 days. All right. Last one for right now. And then Anya, are you on the Discord? 
Uh, I I actually have no idea. <laughs> I'm in I, so many I, discords, it's so hard to tell. Well, ours is the important one. It should be at the very top. That's fair. Anyway, That's fair. We we have a post sessions chat. I'll, I'll ping you. Oh, okay. She, she's she's tricky. She has multiple Discord names, so you have to find the right one. I do. You do. Oh, I have two. I have at least two for you. Oh. Uh, anyway. So a a good one to wrap up and, and end on here. Can you tell us things that surprised you in successful campaigns? Oh, that's a good question. Um, and if you have more later, folks, put it in the post sessions chat on the Discord and we'll get them taken care of. Successful. Surprise me in successful campaigns. I mean, I'm always sort of amazed at the like social goals that people put together. So like not stretch goals, but social goals. So like if I get, you know, if we get 150 more Facebook followers, we'll announce this new character and things like that. I'm just always amazed at how uh, impactful those things are. Does that, does um, that really works? Yeah, it does. I'm always, I'm, I am definitely always amazed at that. I am always amazed too at, how wild people go for exclusive content. Um, that, but that one doesn't surprise me as much given the industry th that we're in because everybody, fair. you know, you see as much as like, once again, that love hate relationship that we have with, you know, gamers and how they complain about exclusivity, but that's always been a big driver of, of sales or, or whatever is having something that you don't get on the other platforms or you didn't get somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. I guess I'm just always amazed that, you know, for, for like $5,000 getting all you have is your name as listed as like an executive producer. I'm just like, wow, people really pledge at that level. It's wild. From someone who was an executive producer. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't pay 5k for that. On your, <laughs> Thank you so much, as always. Yeah, um, thank you. And if anybody's got any questions again, like I said, one, there are, I think, at least three more of these in, in, in yeah. our archive somewhere on, like on the that. YouTube page. Yeah. And there's a whole playlist that we've got around stuff that we've done on Kickstarter and crowdfunding. So go check it out. Um, one, one day I'll compile all of it together and we'll have this gigantic, wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> but thank you as always best to you and nebula and we're gonna kick back in just a few minutes give me a second or two to switch over to dan and we'll be back with our next session thanks everybody awesome. thank you yay thanks for listening to indie game business you can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business <laughs>